This is Joseph Gervaisi. I'm here with Brian Lathrop of Sadistic Exploits. Today is March 7th, 2013, recording this interview at the Mariposa Food Co-op in West Philadelphia, and this is part of Loud Fast Philly. Hi, Brian. Hey, what's up? Hi. Uh, so what year were you born? 1964. Okay. Uh, and uh, were you born in Philly? or? No, I'm a, a Jersey boy, actually. Uh, Willingboro, New Jersey. Okay. Home of uh, Carl Lewis. And uh, there was a, a professional wrestler, old school professional wrestler, not Andre the Giant, but I forget his name offhand. So. Chief J. Strongbow? That era. Yeah, yeah. That era, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, so... Prior to coming into punk and, and the birth of that thing, what, what were your interests, you know, books or music or things like that as a young person? Oh, uh, definitely on the arts, the side of creativity, arts, uh, painting, drawing, um, music for sure. Uh, what sort of music were you listening um, to? Well, I was, my roots are like, I love The Who. Uh, that was like, I, I love them just because of the irreverence with the craziness and the smashing guitars and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and they, uh, just Townsend's song and lyric writing the re really, really spoke to me, uh, the, the kind of angst that I was going through as a teen. So that, that, that was, I felt very connected to that. Um, but the thing that, you know, with high school, junior high, high school, I guess it was high school really when I started discovering punk, um, I just couldn't deal with the clicks. It was click, 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 you know, like you're either a deadhead or a Zeppelin head or, you know, um, was it Journey, I guess? Like, like just yeah. prog rock stuff, like Yes was really big. And just, you know, it, I don't know. I, I just wasn't into any, I didn't feel like I fit into any of that stuff. I was supposed to love Hendrix. And he's phenomenal. Now that I'm older, I realize how amazing he was. But, like, if you're not into it, you shouldn't be forced into some you know, preconceived click, and right. I didn't fit. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I met uh, through chance, fate, whatever you want to call it. Like, I was waiting for a bus, and I met this crazy dude who turned out to be Pedrick, the co-founder of The Exploits, with mm -hmm. me. Uh, but I met him six months prior, and he's like, oh, you should, you should... I think we were waiting to go downtown to see The Who, actually. So um, what, what year is this? This is like 79 or 80. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was living in Havertown, which is like 15 minutes outside of Philly. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, you should check out what's going on. You know, like the, the Clash and Buzzcocks and Sex Pistols and 999. He just kept on rattling off all these bands and, the, you know, the Ramones. And, and then he was gone. He was on the bus and we went our separate ways. And then six months later, I ran into him at, the, at a Clash concert down at the Tower Theater. And I was you know, fully immersed in, in it because it was a voice for my frustration and I didn't fit in. I just didn't feel like I fit anywhere. Uh, and so that was a good fit for me, <laughs> you know, because it was like express your individuality and that kind of stuff. So I make your own rules. Um, so were you able to find these records, you know, that you were hearing? About oh yeah, 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 yeah. There was final. I still, I still have most of them. Lamentably, I, uh, I, I, I pawned a bunch of them uh, when I was, I was hard up for cash, like back in the, mid 80s and I got rid of some first editions that like I kill myself now and it's just like oh you what, know what, what are the records that haunt you now that like you no longer have you oh, even remember it was first release of public image limited you know the metal it came in the metal oh, uh, like the tin and the can yeah. oh man you know like that and Sex Pistols original singles yeah you know, like they're God Save the Queen and Anarchy like those those 
original releases with the you know, 45s. Yeah, with the sleeve. Yeah, with yeah. the. I still have like a handful, like a smattering of, of and an odd one that's like it's like the original Beastie Boys, forty five release. I think it was like a Polywog Stew EP or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, Cookie Puss? That was the a one. Cookie Puss. <laughs> These cookie crumbs are making. <laughs> but, um, but you know, it's, it's kind of this random sampling of forty fives um, that that I saved. But I needed the money, and I got rid of a bunch of, you know, really cool 12-inch and, you know, full-length albums. And it is what it is. I mean, I, I still have access to the music, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah but, um, yeah, there were plenty of vinyl stores, you know, places where you could get uh, vinyl albums uh, back in the day. 69th Street, there was a place called The, uh, the Balcony. Um, it was a record store. It was, it was kind of like a hip, you know, it was like... You could buy clothes downstairs, and then upstairs was kind of like a head shop and, and vinyl. Right. Uh, I don't know if you've spoken to... Uh, there's a guy who... He's been around forever uh, since... He used to work there, Jay Medley. No. If the name has come up, but um, he's been involved in kind of like... Well, back then, he, he was kind of more like the new wave. I, I can't stand labels, personally. I just... Uh, it seems a bit silly, you know, when you, you lay out these labels, you know, when you're an adult many years later, it seems, you know. Well, I had, I had issues with it even back then, like people labeled as this or labeled as that, and it's like, whatever. I mean, I just, I felt like labels were a means of people, a convenient means for people to just, okay, you're, you fit here, right. and I don't have to think about anything. Right. These like, people don't have to talk to each other. Right, they don't have to try to figure this anything out. a skinny tie. And this one has a ripped T-shirt. Right, so he's new wave and he's punk, and it's and, 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 and in retrospect, I mean, obviously, you can look back and say, oh yeah, there's those were all uniforms too. I mean, I see this, you know, the squatter anarchists out on the, you know, uh, Grace Ferry Avenue. Every time I go by that, dog on a string, dog on a string, and the, and it's the same dirty, you know, leather and studs and all that stuff that, you know my friends were doing back in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, a, it's a uniform. Yeah. I mean, not to sound cheated or anything, <laughs> but I'm 49 now, so. But, um, yeah, so I, I discovered music that, you know, punk, basically, um, for lack of a better uh, label, alternative. Alternative I have a little bit, you know, more affinity for, because it's just like, it wasn't mainstream, it wasn't corporate and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was totally... You didn't even have to know how to play your damn instrument. That's what was beautiful about it, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, you started. When did you start going to shows in the city of Philadelphia, and, and where were you? Um, that was like right before. I, that was a precursor to me dropping out of high school. Um, uh, because I was not doing well. I had my own radio show actually uh, back at Haverford High School. Um, so that was kind of it was at the high school. The, WHHS had a had a, a high school radio station. It wasn't the private. There's the Haverford School, which is very. It probably costs as much as going to the University of Penn. Um, very hoity-toity. Uh, but this is just a public school, and they have a radio station. And that I was passing that, and art. That's it. Those are <laughs> yeah. the only two things I was. And passing. this is what, like senior year, junior year. Or? I dropped out uh, middle of my my junior year. Um, I, I got, I was in the gifted class and I was told I was too inquisitive and that was like, that was it. Mm-hmm. When the teacher told me, I asked, she was like, you're too inquisitive, you asked too many questions. I'm like, well, what the fuck am I here for? <laughs> right. And that was it. That was the draw, the straw that broke the camel's back. I was done with school mm-hmm. at that point. I was really struck. I had already left home. I started going to shows. Like I was, there was a place called Emerald City. 
which was across the river in like Pensac, and it was like this crazy large format nightclub and some pretty cool bands came through a lot of mostly british bands i mean like um although iggy and the ramones you know played there regularly um but um psychedelic furs and like that that kind of you know larger i guess larger scale jam or something the jam yeah um but um there was a club called omnis uh which was down at ninth and walnut um they started getting into having shows. There was I, I I came in at the tail end. Unfortunately, I I was like pretty young. I was like sixteen when I left home. Uh, I, I I like once once it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to finish school because I was like living in a friend's basement, mm-hmm. trying to finish high school, right. and it was just I became a burden to the their family. But and what does I mean? What does your own family think about you taking this this course? You know. Um. Well, it was kind of night and day. Uh, perspectives from my mom and my dad. My dad was living in California. He was a very strict kind of, um, well, he was an electrical engineer, so it was kind of anal, reten- that anal retentive thinking typically tends to follow that. Yeah, yeah. You know, all due respect to really engineers. Precise, yeah, yeah. But like, he, he had a very fixed black and white view of things, whereas my mom was a little more freewheeling. And, and uh, I remember getting a letter from them two months after I had left, and his was like, basically an eight-page history of why families evolved to have their kids stay at home till they were 18 because I was going to be exploited. And it was on point. Uh Everything was correct. It just didn't have any empathy in it at all. It was nothing but concern. And no... Whereas my mom was like, I don't know what I did to raise you kids with such, you know... Uh, courage to strike out on your own at such a young age. It's not a decision I would have made for you, but I know you're smart and savvy and you'll make it, blah, blah. Big difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and my mom and I are super tight now, uh, you know, many, many years. Like, we were tight even after that. But, um, you know, I was trying to make it work with this other family and, and I just became a burden to them. So I moved into the city when I was 16. But they had tried to do this tough love thing and... Uh, just the other family? My, or my, no, my mom. My mom. Yeah. The, the precursor to me splitting was like, okay, well, you're going to have to be in by XYZ time on weeknights. And if you're late, it's five points. And one o'clock on weekends, no exceptions, five points. And if you reach ten points, you're out. And I knew Susie and the Banshees was coming on such and such a weekend. And 999 was coming on such and such a weekend. And there were a lot of points you're going to be losing. And I'm just like, I'm not missing these shows. Yeah. So I better find a place to live. <laughs> and I remember her, you know, coming up and finding me. I was taking down all my posters and stuff. And she was like, what are you doing? So I found another place to live because I'm not missing these shows. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, you know, that lasted about three months, I think. And then I, uh, but, you know, that I, I'm sorry, I was jump, jumping around a little bit. But um, those shows, there was a, the Starlight Ballroom. There's a new Starlight Ballroom, which is not, the old one was up in Kensington, mm-hmm. like deep Kensington. Um, and I can't remember the guy who owned it. I can't remember the name, but he used to get some pretty big names. Like Dead Kennedys was like an infamous, that was an infamous show. I can tell you about that later. Um, that was incredible. Um, but, um, yeah, Omnis, but the one that was, that I kind of missed the tail end of was the Hot Club, Mm -hmm. um, which was at 21st and South, um, or near thereabouts. And, um. That was like the that was the OG kind of yeah, silly yeah. punk scene, and I missed out on all that. Like, 
I'm kind of bummed about that, but whatever, you know. So, um, so yeah, I moved into the city when I was 16, and uh, um, by that, but as soon as I, as soon as I knew I was leaving home, that was when I called Pedrick, and I was like, or no, he had called me, and he goes, I'm looking, you know, I'm starting a band, I'm, I'm looking for a front man. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, well, dude, I don't know how to sing. He's like, I don't give a shit. It's punk. I was like, cool, let's do it. Yeah. So we used to uh, rehearse. There was a place called, uh, well, it was actually a shoe store. It was down on Garrett Road in Upper Darby um, called Caruso's. There was a shoe store up front, and then it was Caruso Sound, where the husband had this like recording studio down in the basement, and we would rehearse there, mm-hmm. and we actually recorded our first single there. Um, and, uh, wow, how did, I don't even remember how the hell we found Robbie. I think Pedrick stumbled into him on the on the sub on the on the uh, the trolley. You saw this kid with like you know because punks were pretty much we were a rare breed back then. It was like you were it ain't it ain't like it is it wasn't like it is today. Yeah, so where you see it's all mainstream. Like yeah, yeah. People like gave you a twelve foot you know area around you because like they didn't want anything to do with you. They thought you were psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. Pedrick saw Robbie on the on the train and and you know, spiky hair and chains and leather and all that stuff and so we struck up a conversation and Robbie didn't know how to play bass and he's like hey you want to play bass <laughs> you know and that's how it started the bass player was born and um, we've you know I think the downfall our downfall was that we've never really we never really had a, a stable stable drummer like we could just for the life of us never get it together mm-hmm. um, there's another Philly band. Um, called decontrol mm-hmm. and um i talked to adam did you talk to adam yeah, cool yeah. yeah he's he's looking great man i saw, I saw them play recently uh, well six months ago and he looked phenomenal um for being a fellow old man <laughs> he's holding <laughs> but, up remarkably well yeah no he's doing great and uh still belting it out but um keith was their drummer back then and keith sat in for us on on the single and then uh we had um oh my god i, I don't to, to be honest the details are so are so fuzzy on how we how we got Miguel Miguel Gonzalez was our our first drummer and he stayed with us not real long but like you know, maybe six months to a year mm-hmm. and you know did our debut show down at Omni's and and we used to play there regularly and then there was a place that opened up not too long after Omni's was going it was called the East Side Club and it had been a former gay nightclub um, and. Uh, they decided they were going to change, you know, they got new owners and they wanted to, to, to start bringing, making, basically make it a punk venue. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was very convenient because that was literally in the basement of the building that my old girlfriend, Nancy, lived in. Right. Um, she lived in the Adelphia house, 1229 Chestnut, and the shows were right downstairs. So I was kind of, kind of living with her at that point. Um, so it was convenient when we played. <laughs> but, um, and then, let's see, 81, so that's like 81, and, and then starting to get into 82 is when we, I think we, we started pushing to do the all-ages stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for the band, what do you think were the primary influences, uh, you know, music-wise, on, on the band? Wow. Well, I, I can, I know for Robbie, Robbie was very heavily uh, interested in, uh, the British anarcho punk band Crass. Mm-hmm. Um, we were we were accused of being Crass wannabes. I, I mean, 
I was political. I'm, I think I'm political by nature. Just, I mean, everything, honestly, to be honest, everything is politics when you boil down to, to it. And you can, you can sing about fun stuff too. And, it, and it's still political. Um, do you think you came over more overtly? I think we did. I think we did. Yeah. I mean, Robbie felt pretty strong that we should. Oh, we gotta have our we gotta have our sleeve fold out like this or that. And, you know, and it was like the Crash Records, like the Crash Records did. And, and um, but by the same, I mean, we had a, a quote on the inside of our sleeve. It was from this book called The ABCs of Anarchism by I think it was I think it's Alexander Berkman. I think. Hopefully my mind isn't too far gone to remember him, but it was a it was a beautiful quote um, about what anarchism is and is not, and it's not this utopian thing. It's about people. It's about mutual respect and being, you know, taking ownership and that. I guess it is kind of utopian, but <laughs> um, a lot of those ideals I really dug, but I didn't really want to push it on people. I mean, I look at the, the songs that we were writing when Robbie was in the band and then I look at the songs that after because he left after a couple of years um, and then we had we had a total of like three bass players and um, the stuff was still pretty political but it was more about not fitting in than about government specifically about government and anarchy this anarchy that so we, we, we definitely were accused of that um, but um, hell I, I <laughs> I love the um, the California bands. I'm still partial to a lot of the, you know, like the Germs and Bad Religion and uh, Social Distortion and Circle Jerks and Bad Brains and not Bad, well, Bad Brains, Black, DC, Black Flag, yeah. Black Flag is yeah. what I meant to say. Um, Descendants, like that stuff, resonates deeply with me. Um, Agent Orange, Agent Orange is a longtime fave. Plus, I I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Um, it was actually my, my, I started skateboarding back in, I was living in California. I guess it was 1974. I was living in Torrance, California, home of Black Flag. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when I started skateboarding. So that had been a part of my, of me. Um, and so skateboarders as, as a breed, as a, as we're, I think we're kind of a separate species of some, in, in a lot of regards, it's just like it feels like we're so, we're, we're this marginalized, but really resourceful and really DIY oriented mm -hmm. uh, breed of, of humans. <laughs> um, that it went punk and skateboarding was it was like hand in glove. It was just such a good fit because we were just like fuck you, but you know. We're we're gonna do this and we're gonna do you know and 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 it, so it was a great fit, so um, and and skateboarding was a big part of the punk scene like uh, you know the 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 Phil, a lot of the guys who were in Philly bands skated. Yeah, just um, talking to Chuck Trees. Yeah, Trees and I know. Yeah, we go way back. Um, we're we still skate together though, and we go out to this secret spot and I can show you pictures of it. I can't divulge the location. Um, Sorry, listener. Yeah, it's it. When you see it, you'll be like, "Wow!" I mean, but at any rate, um, you know, th there was. I feel like I'm getting off track here. You want to redirect me, or is there, did uh, I touch well, on anything you want to? Uh, okay, so let's see. What other bands were on the scene at the time? You know, we're early '80s. Your, your bands around. Who else? Who were you playing with? Who were you seeing from Philly? Um, well, there was D Control. Um, 
there was a band out of Upper Darby called the Sopping Hots, which actually some of the members from Decontrol, they, I guess that was kind of like, I don't even know what, what the tie-in there was. Mm -hmm. But they, um, there was a band out of Wayne called the Excuses. Mm -hmm. um, that's where Pedrick came from, and the Excuses pers persisted beyond him. Like, they, they, they stayed around and, and played shows, and um, there was um, uh, Seeds of Terror, who I, they were, they were awesome. They were from actually from Jersey, but they would play here because there really wasn't a whole lot of venues over at Jersey. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking you're talking about early, early. Hmm? Yeah, it's like when you were coming into bunny you know, bunny drums, but they were kind of more. They weren't really. Um, they were kind of their own thing, but they were cool. I liked them a lot. Bunny drums. The, uh, oh, Stickmen. They were awesome. Uh, I had a, a, my first apartment in the city. I think I paid seventy-five bucks a month for this room. Over it was at the convention center's there now. Used to be totally ghetto, but Pete Baker from the Stickman, he he's he was my like hallmate, like across the hall. He was amazing. Yeah, I think everybody that I've interviewed who is older has said that they've seen that band and they love that. Phenomenal. I, I've never heard them, but everybody Phenomenal. at the time loved them. Yeah, I feel like I really missed out on just that. incredible high energy and like wow, you know. Um, and they record it right. I mean, there yeah. are, there's a. Yeah, I got a yeah. Beth Ann, I don't know if Beth Ann is still around. Like I see her at these reunion shows that are going on down at Dobbs, but um, Ruin, one of my faves. They were probably of the Philly bands, I think. And McGrath was like amazing too. I mean, they they had a musical prowess that was way above everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, we were all DIY. Chuck had. I mean, well, Chuck's got this history of. Yeah. Incredible musician. Yeah, we went into that him playing with his father's you know, yeah. R&B soul band. The guy's a, he's a one man dynamo. So uh, they were they. It made sense that they would come in just like heads above everybody else musically, and they did amazing stuff. But Ruin, I think of all the Philly bands back then, they were probably my fave because they had the very strong, super strong sound and very unique. You know, um, who else? Informed sources came. They were they were around the same time. Autistic behavior too. They were they were fun. They were they were they were like Philly skaters. Mm -hmm. um, Steve I. I don't know if you his name has come up. Mm -hmm. It might have been. Um, there was uh, that movie American Hardcore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, he most of that footage was his. Okay. Um, he he was in a house over off of South Street, and there it was like basically the the guys in the band all skated and. Um, uh, he happened to have access to either VHS or Beta, and uh, recorded most of the shows. So, um, but yeah, there, it was it was kind of slim pickings early on too. Like you know, in terms of like other bands who were, who were getting out there, there wasn't a ton of. Uh, there, there's one pure hell, but like I never really saw them play back. In, I didn't see them play back in the day. First time I got to see them play was this past October at this reunion show. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> but. Um, so, you know, I think the scene really started taking off a little bit more to like 82, 83. It was really picking up and, and more, more new bands were coming out and, and, and such. Right. So, so what, what clubs were then coming? At, at, you know, uh, Love, Love was a big one. Love Hall um, or the Love Club. It was, it was down um, broad and south. Right now there's a community garden in the exact spot where the club was. It was this really amazing little venue that... that got to see amazing shows. 
um, you know, Misfits and Minutemen and Husker Du and, you know, and Minor Threat and all these just like huge, huge bands. Yeah. And it was just, it was a bare bones little hall with a stage and, and, uh, and I can't, I, to be honest, I don't even remember who, who was doing the organizing of that. I think it might have been Howard Saunders um, doing some of that organizing. Lenny Bandock was another guy who was really uh, instrumental in bringing and organizing a lot of the shows in Philly. Um, Christian Weber, uh, may he rest in peace, he was one of our, our, he was one of our bass players. Um, he was our last bass player, actually. Uh, he was involved with Lenny... And they had a thing called Crunch Productions, and they would organize all ages shows and, and punk shows. Mm-hmm. So they brought a lot. They they made stuff happen. There was a community education center at Thirty Fifth and Lancaster. That was a DIY. It was like a, a community center, but it was a DIY spot basically. Like it, they converted it at night and then did punk shows. And, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but love love was the epic. That was like that was it yeah I mean That's you say you miss the hot club but I mean to have witnessed something like that and been a part of it that certain yeah, people who are younger than you are going to say like oh Jesus you know you that, that place was epic I mean I, I pretty much pretty certain that I've done I did permanent damage to my tail bone and lower back there diving off the stage because there was one time like a hole opened up when I dove off and I landed <laughs> square on my ass um, and it still aggravates me to this day on occasion but it was worth it <laughs> It, it, we got to see some epic, epic shows there. Um, and then you mentioned you saw Dead Kennedys at the Starlight, Starlight Ballroom. Yeah, that one was the 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 tale about that that was so wild. Was a, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with Kensington. Um, I, mean, I, I know Kensington a little bit. It's, yeah. a, it's a rough neighborhood. It's it's it's, it's the white ghetto. It's a white ghetto, and back then it was even more ghetto. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a lot of people there. They don't even venture into Center City. It's just like. Yeah. Very kind of isolated, and the Starlight Ballroom is like up there in this no man's land, underneath the L, uh, the elevated subway train, and um, they brought the Dead Kennedys there, uh, and the locals, meaning the local the Kensingtonites, they didn't know what the hell to make of us. You know, all these leather-clad, crazy-colored hair, spikes and chains and all that stuff. Yeah. Coming into their hood, they're like, what the hell? What is this? Get the fuck out of here, you know? And punk rockers were like, well, fuck you. Man. Kenzo's. We're, we're, you know, we're not going anywhere. And long story short, the locals went back and got some some dude who, who uh, threw a, an M80 or some such explosive and, and uh, threw it into the crowd. And it blew up in this girl's foot, who I actually, years later, I ended up dating that girl. Small, like crazy ass. Did she have a wooden foot at that she point? She didn't have a wooden foot. She had a By nasty now. scar, though, like a three or four inch scar. And she's got a good story, at least a good yeah, scar. Yeah. Um, but so they, then uh, the guys, uh, you know, some, some of the people in the line, I think they, if, if I recall correctly, and again, the details are maybe a little, a tad hazy, but... As I recall it, they beat the shit out of whoever it was who threw the explosive. The guys who were with him got away and brought in reinforcements. By this time, we're all inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and the locals come in with baseball bats. That, I remember, because I saw it and I ran to 
get the hell out of the way. I didn't want to get clubbed over the head with a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. But like it was mayhem because you know people were scattering and, and like we I remember we ended up somehow we ended up underneath the stage. Um, like there was it's kind of like maze that went you know in the dark and you're crouching and like are they gone are they gone and then you know, it was nuts. This is like your war experience. It was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. And then I remember Jello um, being up on stage and it was crazy because it was a very dimly lit big ballroom, old school ballroom. And it had these kind of uh, porthole looking window. They weren't windows. They were mirrors that had little twinkle lights around them. Mm-hmm. So it looked like a ship. Right. Um, and he's like, did you ever get the feeling you were going down on the Titanic <laughs> or something like that? Because he saw the, the crazy shit that was going on. Yeah. And, and I don't have details about who was or wasn't clubbed. I'm sure that other people were hurt, you know, yeah. when these guys came in swinging bats. But yeah, that was that's my little gem of a story about uh, the Starlight Ballroom up there. So, and they they, they uh, you know show that I missed. I can't, I think I was sick. I can't remember why I didn't go. But um, it was right before Henry joined Black Flag. Um, uh, SOA, I think Skinheads of America. SOA played uh, up there. And that was like kind of the beginning of like this new generation of like punk had evolved, and then it was like. So this is hardcore, basically. I mean, basically, hardcore I, guess, punk. I guess it's yeah. I guess it's hardcore. I mean, it, uh, yeah, for lack of a better title, yeah. Um, but yeah, that 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 was like the beginning of a whole different evolution and a whole different direction. Um, and that was eighty. Three-ish, eighty-four-ish. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And how did that strike you at the time? Did you feel kind of like that it was a scene? Oh, I felt like I did, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I felt like I didn't fit in again. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there were still we still had our followers. There were people who who, who loved us and 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 followed us. And uh, um, but then there, you know, there were, there was also this mentality of like people who just want to go out and and thrash and beat the shit out of people. And that wasn't really my. I mean, I, I like getting in a mosh pit. Just as much as the next guy, and, and but like not to beat the shit out of people. Right. Yeah. But like it, it seemed like it was just overt. Like let's beat the shit out of this guy because he's not from our city or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. And and one of them, it, it it's epic. I wish I had had the you know the ability to document this stuff photographically back then, like I do now. Um. But a show that we went to, and and so and a little bit of a gem of a story in itself. I mean, it's some stupid shit, but we, somebody had the bright idea to rent like a, a an Avis rent-a-truck, like a box truck uh-huh. with no windows or seats or anything in the back. And I think about 30 of us piled into the back of it and drove up to New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's called Irving, Irving Plaza was the name of the of the venue. I don't even know if that's still around. Yeah, it sounds right. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's still um, around. It was Minor Threat, SSD... Millions of dead cops played as well, and like the the DC. I don't know whether I can't remember if SSD played that show. Nancy will, will correct me on that. I don't know whether SSD played that show, but I thought there was a Boston element. Mm-hmm. But the, the the animosity between the cities on the East Coast was like pretty intense. Yeah, and I I was like I'm not getting involved in that shit. I am watching this thing. There was a mezzanine. And it was incredible. I mean, like, I like I said, I wish I could have documented it. So it's a swirling massive. It looked like a, it was it was like a human hurricane. It was amazing <laughs> because the dudes from DC, they had like duct tape 
I think they were from they were either DC or New York. One, you know, but it was whoever they were one city, and then they were going counterclockwise, just like like I said, everything was duct taped, and their spike, their spikes, and all that. Yeah. And they're just like wow, just like kids doing swan dives off of twelve foot stacks. It was it was this incredible. It was like a hurricane of humanity. It was yeah. insane. So you're um, at least smart enough not to be in the. In the I watched the film. Mess, and I was like, you know what? I don't. I don't need to get into that. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I like getting and mixing it up and, and having fun in the pit just as much as the next guy. And but but that was like, whoa, dude, not for me. But um, <clears throat> so where were we? Where were we? Where? So we're eighty eighty. Eighty-three ish, yeah. yeah. No, you, are you no, we only lasted to like eighty-five. Our band, we lasted till about eighty-five. Now, did you just do one EP or? We did a, 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 a um, freedom back with apathy. Uh, did we just tradition? I don't know. There's, it was a forty-five. Mm -hmm. um, I still have copies of it actually. Um, and then we did another demo. And I'm dying to get a. I, I got to get a cop. I have the demo tape. I just don't have the. Vi there was actually film, like movie film. It, we we were the band in this. It was kind of a B version of hell. Of it was called Hellfire. Um. Oh shit! I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the on the. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the on the the original movie. Uh, like Decline and Fall of Western Civilization? Or no, 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 no. It was like it was a fiction. It was like a B. It was like a B version of um, of this this. On the tip of my tongue, I'll remember it. Yeah, I mean, if you give me a hint of like something of what the movie was like, I might. Very future. Uh, what's his name? Like a Clockwork Orange or something? No, no, uh, no. Um, showing my age. <laughs> oh, isn't it a shame we can't edit this thing? <laughs> I know. Well, you know, I signed up for this. Um. It's a very. It's set in the future, and the, and this the, the, there are these droids. They were like, they're robots, but they look like humans. Um, Harrison Ford is in it, I believe. The Blade Runner. Blade Runner. No. Yeah. Blade Runner. Yeah. He has to kill the you know yeah. the times running out and they, yeah. when they yeah okay yeah Blade Runner. Yeah. Blade Runner. It was called Hellfire. That was it was oh, a so this version. Was, so this was a fake. I mean, like a ripoff. It was like a ripoff of that, and I still never have seen it to this day. So, what, so you you like play a band? We were a band in the nightclub. Okay. And they paid for us to go in the studio <clears throat> and do our demo to match up to the sound, you know, because we were, you know, the, the band in the club. And they, I think we filmed it down in some Elks Lodge or something down in uh, Atlantic City. And the film Vietnam. was never released. I'd love to see it, man. Have you ever looked around to see if it's like an AVI file floating I, on the I, internet? You know, um, there's a there, there's a friend of mine from back in the day. Uh, his name is Skip Heller. He was he he came up through Philly punk, and he's a jazz musician now. Um, but he never really quite fit in either. He always felt like, you know, he it appeared the the, the DIY and 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 independent kind of thinking appealed to him, but. He didn't fit into the the molds that were pretty obvious from the outside. Yeah, yeah. The guy's like a walking encyclopedia. If you have any questions, I mean, I would highly encourage you to talk to him. I, I'd be happy to interview him. Yeah. Skip, Skip Heller. He's out. He's out in uh, L.A. now, and the guy is just. I mean, I. He actually. He actually. Um, he's like, you know, I've been. I ran into him to a, in a party like 15, 20 years after we first met, like long after the band had just has broken up. 
I've been meaning to talk to you, you know, ask this question to you. Um, the name of the band, did you get that from such and such and such and such a television show where they were, you know, like reviewing um, uh, such and such a movie and, and they said this is just nothing but a sadistic exploitation? I was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, that, it, he was spot on. Yeah. And it was so... Oh, that actually was true then? It was spot on. <laughs> This like that, random, that amazing. and I was like, yeah, I just thought it had a kind of a chunky sound. It woke people up, sadistic exploits, and I, I had a tagline that I put on flyers called "A Reflection of Society" because it's just that's it made sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but anyway, I digress. Um, so you started doing, you had events, right? You were doing. We did all ages shows. We played backyards. We played. We didn't. Have, Make any money? It was it's a, a pittance of, of 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 dollars. Got to play CBGBs back in the heyday, That's which cool. was pretty epic. Got to play there a few times, and I remember that being that was a pretty big deal um, for me anyway. It, it and and a, a funny aside, um, I can remember calling my dad in California from New York City from a payphone in New York City, and, and being like. Dad, you raised the success. We're playing in New York City. Yeah, I think we got fifty bucks that night. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, not exactly on Broadway, but hey, yeah, yeah. but we did punk. It was CBS, you know, yeah. and and we went over the crowd and got a great review from the zine, and you know, we're welcomed back, and so that was cool. That's probably one of the highlights for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and then. Towards the end, let's see, we had, um, well, we had the lineup with uh, Brian Lee. Brian Lee was joined our band as ba on bass after Robbie split. Robbie split to do his own thing. Um, there was a, an, an anarcho band called uh, uh, A State of Mind that he, he moved out west and up, up like Northern California and started that. I think I have a 7-inch by then. Yeah. Yeah. A split State of Mind. With somebody. Um... <laughs> And so Brian was our bass player for a while, and then uh, Christian ended up signing on, and uh, we made it to about 85, I guess. And, uh, you know, internal differences, I don't know how, if you're in a band or if you've ever dealt with, like, the egos. Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, any art artists, typically the egos are pretty big. Yeah. Um, so... Without getting into gory details about it, I'll just say that it was personal differences. We'll that, say that, it was the uh, other guys and not you. Well, no, I played a role too, but I'm not going to try to shirk any blame. Everybody, everybody's, nobody's innocent. Well. <laughs> that was one of my favorite buttons that I had on my leather. No, no one is innocent. Um, so, so post band, did you stay involved in in the scene? Were you still interested in? I was. Um, I, yeah, for sure. Um, I. I Continued to write. I did a lot of continued with my writing, mostly Were spoken you? word, poetry, and that kind of stuff. I, I definitely missed. I missed performing for sure. Um, but yeah, always partial to the kind of underdog people who are trying to raise their own, you know, get their resources together and, and make shit happen for themselves. Yeah. Um, and and I think the the biggest. For me, the clearest illustration or example of that is getting involved with, uh, and this is this is several years later because I had kind of an inner like after um, after leaving the band and I started getting into more 
activism, if you will. Um, On the part of what? Like, what were your... Central America and involved, U.S. foreign policy in Central America. The Contras. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. And so I went to Nicaragua back in 87 uh, with a delegation of writers and poets. Um, and uh, that really... I mean, what was interesting is is a, a, a good friend of mine um, who was the then director of the, the poetry series at the Painted Bright Art Center, Lamont Steptoe. Guy's a phenomenal poet. He's still in Philly here. Um, look him up. He's, he's worth checking out. But Lamont was telling me, oh, I'm going to Nicaragua. I was like, dude, you're fucking crazy because you're going to get shot. <laughs> yeah, it was it was hot and heavy yeah, at that point. That. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then it was like, he was still prepping. This is like six months in advance, he told me. And then two months had passed, and like a, somebody switched a switch. And I was like, I have to go. I, I don't know what it was, but it was like, I need to go. This is going to be an incredible learning experience. I didn't speak a lick of Spanish. Um, so what was it that you were supposed to do while you were there? Or what did you do while you they were there? They were avid. Um, the, 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 the people of Nicaragua absolutely revere poetry, unlike here. Mm -hmm. Um there's a lot of respect for, for poets, and uh, so they had this annual festival, the Rubendario Poetry Festival, and it's just like everybody, I mean, everybody, you know, from government officials down to, you know, farmers would get, and they had equal time to get up and present their poems, and, you know, at this big thing, and, and then we were like a guest delegation through the Cultural Association, and, and so that's what we did, and... I had no idea that poetry was the toughest thing you could possibly try to translate, but that gave me a really good base vocabulary to learn Spanish. So do you speak? I'm Spanish? fluent now. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, um, but that was really kind of I m that experience really kind of marked I think the beginning of my photography uh, endeavors. Um, there were some pictures that I had taken up in this remote uh, farming co-op that we went to. Uh, and the kids looked like they were about 60 years old. And that really, that really got my goat. And so that there are some pictures that, that, that really kind of set me on my, my course with photography. Um, so is that what you're actively involved in now, the photography? I'm a photographer, yes. Okay. yes. By profession? By profession. Oh, okay. what, where do you, what do you... I'm whatever pays the bills. It's okay. sad, sad to say. But, you know, the, the, the idealism of being pure photojournalistic shooter, you know, that I had back in those days, uh, I have kids to raise now, and it's like, well, got to pay the bills. Yeah. And we're all whores to some extent or another. So well, I the, to the, say, the fact that you could at least support yourself doing the photography in any form is still... It's, it's tough. It's getting tougher and tougher. It's, I mean, I imagine the, the outlets, the paying outlets are diminishing. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's an industry that's completely in flux and it's changing daily and it's, it's unnerving, but um, I have art direction and graphic design background like I always did in terms of the whole DIY theme I was always wanting to do our posters and always did the design and all that stuff mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and um, see I lost my train of thought I'm trying where we were going with that um, we're talking about photography yeah when you, Central when you, America. you came back you, you came back to the states were you still at that point interested in in you know that that state of punk which was I guess we're talking like late 80s you know, when you're coming back, or... I, I started drifting, I think. I started probably drifting away from it more, uh, because I started getting more interested in, act, like I said, activism. I was interested in joining the Peace Corps. Uh, I got shot down for that, because I didn't... At that point, I didn't speak any languages. Right. Um, or really have any skills to teach. Right. 
And um, I then, uh, God, I keep having brain farts. That's, that's going to be a good one for the, <laughs> I call it flat as cerebellus. Brain farts, like, shh. Let me just see what time it is. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting a little tight because uh, we got to be out of here at 8.30. Okay. Um, so, um, where are we? Um, so we're late, photography. Late, late, late. So, so, yeah, so, uh, so I started gearing up to go back to school. I actually ended up getting accepted to Penn, uh, University of Pennsylvania, on a provisional basis. Uh, and um, a lot of it was what, the stuff that I had been writing, stuff I had written in my punk days. Mm-hmm spoken word, the photography, all that stuff. They're like, yeah, even though my SAT scores probably lowered their standards average by 200 points, uh, they gave me a shot and I graduated magna cum laude six years later. I was working full time and, uh, you know, going to school at night. Um, but the, oh, I, I, yeah, we got off on big tangent. Examples of DIY resourcefulness uh, is the skateboarding. Um, Back in the early 90s, I got involved with FDR Skate Park. And I don't know how familiar you are or aren't with FDR, but that's a total grassroots uh, initiative by mm-hmm. the skateboarders. And um, I, I'm not as heavily involved as now as I was back in the, in the 90s. When I didn't have kids, I could give up two weeks of my vacation time to get down there and break my back and huck cement and... Right, so you, you contributed building the thing. Contributed to building it, and now uh, you know, I'll do like t-shirt designs and, and fork over money so that they can buy concrete. Like if I can't physically be there, I'll do fundraiser stuff to help them because that's a definite, you know, like, I've never, like, again, I talked to, about the breed of skateboarders being this resourceful DIY. They're, they're driven, resourceful motherfuckers. <laughs> Is it? I mean, that's, yeah, I've never met a more creative bunch. Yeah, a lot of them are musicians, a lot of them are involved in hardcore bands, a lot of them still skate, a lot of them are painters. Just an incredible diversity of creativity and energy. Right. And I'm proud to, to rank among them. You know, I think that's helped keep me going. Skateboarding, that's that's my soul food, man. I mean, right. other people play basketball. I, I, I skate. You know, that. And, and what's great is the music that we listen to while we skate is... Well, it's, it's great and it's a little unnerving because it's like I was skating with some guy the other day and I think we had X mm-hmm. on Los Angeles album and um, I was like, wow, this is, you know, he's like, yeah, this is such a great album for such and such a year and I did the math and I was like, oh, shit. That's 30 years old already. <laughs> you know? God. Yeah, I guess that kind of ties into I have two quick questions I want to end with yeah. uh, cause before they shut the lights out on us. But one was, it, can you... Can you understand why then people still are kind of drawn to this this thing? You know that young people, you know, what is it that you think draws young people to something that at this point, like you're saying, is so old? You know, it's been around since the latter '70s, and yet still it seems to speak to some people. Um, well, I think the general thing is just, it's it's kind of like a great um, antidote to the teen angst and frustration and and it gives you a a voice and it allows you to vent and the other thing is the thing that's beautiful now is man if you've got initiative and you're willing to bust your ass and 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 work you can do incredible shit yourself yeah yeah you can record yourself you have all this diy you know i mean you can do it low budget lo-fi but like if you've got the, the the tools 
to get you know to buy Pro Tools and a really nice computer setup, you can record bi-coastally. Like Chuck is, you know, Patrick and I have been talking about trying to if we can pull together a reunion gig, try to make that happen. But we also want to try to record some stuff. We can record bi-coastally. Yeah. So the DI the, the, for for people who have the initiative, yeah, the, the it's never been better, yeah. never been a better time for people uh, who, who want to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's really exciting, and I think that's that's empowering for, for kids. And and then, I mean, it is it is funny to you know like I work, did fundraising for a skate park thing uh, that I actually co-founded the, the nonprofit that's building the skate park down on the Schuylkill, um, the the Franklin Payne skate park down there. We were skate. We were fundraising at, at the X Games, and, and no, we did. We also did it at the, the Vans Warped Tour. That was the thing that was funny, and it was just like everybody and their mother had leather, and it was just like kind of surreal for me because I was older. I was. This is ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. So I was thirty nine, still significantly older than everybody. There, still twice everybody's age, and they were just like. It was just really funny. I mean, there, there were. I think me first in the Gimme Gimmies was playing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Yeah, I've heard them before. And they're, they're, these kids had this crazy pit going to like it was Mandy or something, a Barry Manilow song. <laughs> they, was, they, 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 they were doing a great job playing, but it was it was as these kids have no clue about these origins. Like, um, but I don't know. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't really talked to any younger kids who. Are they? I don't know. Are they romanticizing and, and like, wow, you know, minor threat and, and all that? I like, think there's, a, there's a, I mean, from the people that I've talked to and then, you know, from what I know, there is there is certainly that. But there's also, you know, younger fans <clears throat> that are speaking to them. But the kind of the through line has been the ethos, you know, like the DIY ethos has kind of moved through it. And then, like you're saying, like, I think it appeals to them because it's, it's stripped down, it's raw, it expresses their aggression. And even though the form is really old... I think it kind of it, stays there's kind of a, perennially fresh in a way. There's a veracity to it. It's 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 real. It's yeah, true. there's not a lot of artifice stuck to it. So I think it's so boiled down to like the core of emotion. And and I think that that's. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think that's why you're going to find a lot of overlap with skateboarders in even that younger crowd. The, the, the appeal, like there's like there's this union between the music and yeah, skating yeah. that's just yeah. like undeniable. Yeah. Because there's sort of physicality, you know, to yeah. both of those things, and they seem and it's about living in the moment. Yeah, and and that you can't fake it, you know, you can't fake it on a skateboard. It's just like you're either in the moment with it, or you're going to eat shit and pay the price, and that's kind of almost the same thing that happens with the music. Like you can't fake it. You fake it, you're not going to, you're not going to make it. Right, right. So, all right. So in our last in our last yes. minute before they close the place, sure. You you have kids. Uh, yeah. you've gone through this thing uh, that you still have some connection to absolutely so is there something of, of this experience or of this ethos that you intend to or are sort of imparting onto the children oh yeah um, if you want to make a change in the world make it don't wait for somebody else to make it do it yourself do it yourself like right. it, don't be a lazy ass don't be apathetic um, you have the power you have the power. Do it yourself. I mean, it's, 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 I don't know. It just has always been second nature to me. That's the way I think. I'm not waiting for somebody else to do it. I can do it better. Right. Perfect. So. That's a great way to end the thing. Um, thank you very much for uh, yeah. talking about it. It's been great. Um.